My name is Jeremy. I'm delighted to have you here to worship with us today. We're starting a new series in the summertime uh, entitled Encounter the Incredible. I think you'll see why in a little bit. Uh, it's a bit of an attempt at some, uh, to be relevant culturally and also to transition from the series we were just in, in the book of Judges, where we saw the dark days when Israel was looking for a deliverer and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, yet no one was able to um, come to the true deliverance and ultimate peace of God's people. So what were they looking for? I think this series should answer that question. Um, I also want to thank Pastor David for the last couple weeks for preaching for me as my family did the great American road trip. You know, school lets out and everybody jumps in the minivans and away we go, right? That's the way all Americans start the summer, at least we tried to. We hadn't been home in a couple years need to go back for a family reunion and see uh, my mom and her parents. And uh, I went ahead and just took a picture of our tachometer or a speedometer at the, whatever this ometer is, at, at the, uh, what is it? Odometer. odometer. There we go. Thank you. Group process like that. The odometer, not the tachometer or speedometer. See, you've learned something already. How about that? The odometer in our vehicle at the end of the trip, here's what it says. It shows at the bottom, 45 hours and 2,000 miles. So I thought that was pretty decent. I know some of you go much further than that. It's about 800 miles uh, each way for, our, for us to visit our family. And we all came back in one piece. My wife and I are still married. Our kids are still alive. And so it's all good, you know. We made it through McDonald's many a time and other stops as well. And we were glad to be back here, home in Michigan, sleeping in our own beds. It's good to make memories and see family and hopefully our love increased as well. But as we traveled, I began to think about, you know, this, this modern phenomenon, obviously, of GPS or your Garmin or your Nav or whatever you use, your phone in your car, and it makes... Direction, really simple. I mean, I love it because, you know, you just plug it in and go. tells you how far, restaurants, Starbucks, etc. And there we are going down the road. My kids can say to me, Dad, are we there yet? How much longer? And I can say, hold on, Siri, how much longer? And say, okay, kids. I wonder how much longer it will be before you ask that again. But Here we are going down the road, and the sense of direction is really significant. For us as adults, we have kind of sort of this time frame, this mindset, this is how long it's going to take, this is the path, I sort of understand this process, but the kids' time is a little bit like, okay, so how long, what, when, where? And we're constantly impressed with the need for direction, both for the kids and for other people in the vehicle. Say, hey, this is our route, this is our plan, this is where we're going to go. And just like these monster family road trips, I say so too in the journey of life, it's huge, way, way bigger than 45 hours and way bigger than 2,000 miles. It's a long trip with a lot of twists and turns and up and downs and valleys and storms and hills and mountains and all this stuff in between. And you're asking yourself, man, I sure hope I'm going the right way. I mean, if we're going the wrong direction, if I took a wrong turn, this is not going to end well. At the end of the day, I want to know where I'm going and how I'm getting there. And I think Mark chapter 1 is here to help us with that, to provide you with a sense of direction in life. 
Today, as we look at the opening chapter of the book of Mark, you're going to see three things. These are the three things up on the slide. You can write them down or download the slide later. Three things, a problem, a solution, and an application. This text is going to show us the problem, which is basically the lack of direction. The people of Israel are sheep without a shepherd. They've been wandering around. They've been through several different Um, periods of history with the judges and then the kings and then the invasions and deportations and now the the Greeks and the Romans and now here they are. There's just this huge mess of of a mess and they're looking to see where is the person who is going to lead us? Who will deliver us? Who will ultimately be our king, the anointed one that's been promised from so long ago? Where is our direction? They're looking for direction The solution that John the Baptist is going to tell them is, hey, here is your direction. Here he is. Turn and follow him. Turn or repent and believe. Turn and follow Jesus. And then the application for them, you're like, what does that mean? How do I turn and follow Jesus? It means that in every area of your life, every single area, doesn't matter what it is, regardless of what area it is, your goal is to find your joy in him, whether it's your work, whether it's your family, whether it's your road trip, whether it's going to the grocery store or telling your friends about Jesus, whatever it is, the goal is to find your joy, not in some other distraction, but in your ultimate purpose in Jesus. So problem, solution, application, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read it to you from the ESV. um, Words will be up on the screen. You can follow along in your devices, your Bibles, or the ones we have in the back. Mark chapter 1 says this, It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of the repentance for or on behalf of the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. Yummy. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he, Jesus, saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you, Jesus, are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Problem is this. The problem of the people at that time was that they had no direction. And similarly, I think the problem of the people of our time is that we have no direction as well. Their culture would tell them one thing. Follow Caesar. Follow the rabbis. Follow whoever. Our culture tells us another. It says, okay, 
everyone's direction is different. I think this is the message you get from modern media, etc. Everyone's direction is different. Just choose and follow your own, and whatever it is that gives you the most joy and satisfaction, that's your direction, so follow that. Whatever it is that pleases you and gratifies yourself, that's your direction. So go. And here we are, like sheep without a shepherd, spinning around like tops and going every direction because at every stop along the way we're trying to find satisfaction but nothing seems to work. It's like the people who start out on their family vacation and, and maybe this is fun sometimes but not always and they say, hey, let's just go somewhere. Where do you want to go? I don't know, but whatever looks good, let's stop and try that. Hey, there's a tourist trap. How much? I don't know, 50 bucks. Okay. At the end of the day, you're like, whew, what just happened there? I don't know, but we ate a lot of candy, drank a lot of pop and we really don't feel that good. <laughs> That's what's happening in our culture today, right? The culture's saying, hey, try this, try that, try that. Come over here, give us your money, we'll give you the stuff, we'll make you feel good, this is your direction, have fun. And at the end of the day, you're going, I don't really feel that good. I tried that, not so great. I tried that, eh. I tried that, fun for about five minutes, and now I'm sick. Here's your direction, it's not that. What's the problem? The problem with this lack of direction is it's from our sin and brokenness. Romans 3.23 makes a very dramatic statement. It says, all of us have sinned. Mother Teresa, the Pope, me, you, everybody, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we're messed up. (laughs) We're not right. Something is wrong. And Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one pursues the right direction. For all have turned aside and taken a detour and got lost and gone their own way and lost their direction as a result isaiah who john quotes here says all we like sheep have gone astray everyone has turned to their own way we're lost as much as we'd like to think we know where we're going the reality is as human creatures We need a shepherd. We need a savior. We need someone to point us and tell us and lead us and command us which way to go. The problem is the lack of direction. The solution is not to plow ahead aimlessly and stop at every place that promises satisfaction, but instead to turn around from that path and follow Jesus. The solution is to turn and follow Mark chapter 1, what I'd like to do now is basically show you a little bit of how. This is the teaching portion, and then I'll apply it here in just a little bit. This is the really cool stuff that's just under the surface here in the text of God's beautiful word. And essentially what he's saying is follow the leader. I'll show you how that applies to them and how it applies to us as well. Now here's what's interesting. Here's where you follow along in your Bibles. Just pay attention. We're going to dig deep for a minute, and then we'll pull out and Put it right back in your lap. The solution is to follow the leader. Well, here's the thing. When Mark writes this book, most scholars say this is one of the earliest, this is the earliest um, gospel or account of the story of Jesus. So Mark starts with sort of what's called a prologue or an introduction. The first sentence is just like actually the conclusion of the book. He's like, here's the thing. And then he begins to tell the story. So it's a really cool development that we, the people from the outside, see that the people who are experiencing it don't. Like, we're getting the bird's eye view here. We already are told at the beginning who this guy is. We know where this is headed. 
but the people in the story are discovering it for the first time, and they're like, wow, what is this? Oh, this is crazy. Who is this guy? Is this Elijah? Is this Moses? I, I don't know. Who do you think he is? And that's the question we see playing out throughout the book as the people encounter Jesus. They encounter the incredible, this unusual, strange fellow. Yet we, from 2,000 years removed, having read the story, have somewhat of a clue that this guy is special, he's different. And Mark starts his gospel that way. He says, this is the beginning. Now note, it's the beginning of the gospel. It's not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus always was. There was no beginning or end for him. He simply is. Before Abraham was, I am, he says. There's no beginning of Jesus. This is not the beginning of this dude from Nazareth. This is the beginning of the story about this dude. It's not Jesus' beginning. This is the beginning of the good news for us but not something that ever began with him. In fact, he planned this a long time ago for as it is written. In other words, like I told you, this is the sea I told you so from several hundred years ago. The creation, before the founding of the creation of the earth, God had this plan in his mind, and so he wrote it down and told you before he did it. It's no surprise to him. This is the beginning of the gospel, Beginning of the good news, as is written from long ago, this is something you should have been expecting up until now. Don't be surprised. Here it is. What is the gospel? Well, we throw that word around as Christians all the time. We say, oh, preach the gospel, the good news. Look, you got a bunch of uh, sort of papers or things behind me. This is artwork done by people in our own congregation. And what it's showing you is back then the gospel is this. A returning king, a conquering hero, brings back good news, and the crier cries out to the people and says, Behold, good news, everyone, look, see, we won, there was a battle, we were in trouble, but our victorious king and leader conquered. Therefore, hear ye, hear ye, we have now subjected this domain under our dominion. And as a result, that's good news for the empire, for the kingdom. Here's what Rome is out to do, they're build up the kingdom, there's proclaim their good news because Caesar is their savior. And now Mark has taken that and talking to actually Romans, not Jews. This gospel is written to Gentile people, which means just like you and me. And he says, look, this is the good news. It's not about Caesar. It's not about the administration. It's not about my politics. It's not about my preferences. It's about Jesus. Here is good news of a real conquering king, an eternal hero that will actually bring final and lasting peace. That is what you call a gospel. Gospel is not a sales pitch where we get people to come forward and join our club. Gospel is this internal plan for the redemption of the entire cosmos where it's fixed. And what was broken and messed up is good and unbreakable forever. That is good news. So the gospel, as it is written from long ago, the beginning, not of Jesus, but of the good news for us. Here it is. There's this strange voice, this person calling, prepare the way. And indeed it is. It is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. In fact, did you know that before you were ever called a Christian, you were a member of the way? Acts chapter 9, the first thing we were ever called as followers of Jesus was the way. Not Christians, but the way. 
This is a journey you will be following throughout the book of Mark. This is a journey in my life and in yours. Not every step of ours is perfect, and not every step of the people in this book, other than one, is either. But this is the way. It's the beginning of the gospel, as it is written from Isaiah the prophet, the way of the Lord. It begins with repentance. This is John's message, and basically one word is to repent. Now, when you hear that word to repent, guys, you don't even have to put the, you can put the words up if you want, but you don't have to. I'm just going through it. Uh, if, you, if you hear the words repent, what I'm hoping that you hear is actually broader than what I expect. In other words, when you hear the word of repent, teenagers, what do you think of? Repent. Oh, sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Yeah, didn't do my homework. Didn't clean my room. I messed up. Okay, the dog, I forgot to walk him, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's not repentance. I mean, that kind of is. And for us as human beings, a lot of times that's what it kind of boils down to because most of the time we mess up, we mess up with other people. But what John is talking about here is not to go back to your family member, your brother, your sister, your friend, and say, hey, you know what, that didn't really come across right. I'm sorry I answered so gruffly. I know we had a little friction there. We please forgive me. It just didn't go exactly as I hoped. I was grumpy. I was tired. I'm sorry. The only excuse is what I said was wrong. Repent. No, no. That's actually not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is a dynamic, radical transformation that goes 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Saying your life was following this one direction. Here was your due north. Now it's changed. You are changing directions, and therefore I want you to go in and out of the water and show them that your whole life has been cleansed and made new. You need to demonstrate the purity of God coming into you that your desires and your life and your heart are different. Repent. Turn. Don't just go say sorry for stepping on someone's toe. Change your whole life. Repent. And all the country of Judea went and did this, and John was this weird dude wearing weird stuff, eating weird things. But in verse 7, he says this, which is amazing. And he, and after me comes who? He who is mightier. He who is mightier than me. That is perhaps, I think, one of the most beautiful things in this whole passage. Here's a title of God. The Almighty. The El Shaddai. The one who can. Who am I? The weak, the fallible, the sinful, the one who can't. But who is this? The one who can. What about Jephthah? What about Samson? What about Moses? What about David? None of them could. They tried really hard and they did a great job and they're amazing, way better than us. But look, here is one who can. This is the one who is mightier. And if this one goes before you, there is no way you can possibly fail. Because it's not you, it's him. If you are going for it, of course you'll mess up. But this one, he is mightier than anything that comes in your path. This is the one who can. He is mightier. Let that sink in for a minute. He is mightier. He is mightier than anything in my life. 
He is mightier than any sin I'm struggling with. He is mightier than any uncertainty I face. He is mightier than any sadness that comes my way. He is mightier than depression. He is mightier than cancer. He is mightier than the government. He is mightier. That is who he is. We put all these beautiful names of Jesus on the background in our thing, and there's all these descriptions and attributes of God. Don't forget this one. He is mightier. That's difficult. He's mightier. That's no fun. He is mightier. That makes me sad. He is mightier. I am discouraged. He is mightier. I don't have enough. He is mightier. All of those things. He is mightier. Don't you see this, church? Here's the forerunner. Who do you think the forerunner is? John the Baptist? Good luck. He's not enough. He can't die on the cross for your sins and raise from the grave. Jesus is your go-before. He is your leader. John went before Jesus, but Jesus goes before you. This one is mightier. This is the one whose strap of his sandals, not a single one of us, are worthy to touch. He is mightier. Yeah, John, I'm going to baptize you with water, whatever. This guy's sending the Holy Spirit, who he is one with. Watch this. You won't believe what happens. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, some nowhere place, kind of like the planet Hoth. He's out of nowhere, some desert in the north. He was baptized by John in the Jordan, and when he came up, who saw the Holy Spirit? He saw the Holy Spirit. What do our paintings show us? It's a little dove. Bing. Everybody sees it. Ooh, glowing halo. There's Jesus. What does this say, actually? He saw. It doesn't say that we saw. It doesn't say that anyone else saw. It says that Jesus saw the Holy Spirit. Descending. How was he coming down? How was he descending? How was the Holy Spirit coming? Like a dove. Gentle, quiet, soft, still voice. It doesn't say that he was a dove. Tweet, 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 or whatever. (laughs) Cuckoo. (laughs) It says that he descended like a dove. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus saw, comes down slowly and gently like a dove. This is the way the Spirit works. He whispers, hey, 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 listen, do this. Did you hear it? If you didn't, you missed it, because that's how doves work. They flitter away if you bother them. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. If you want to be filled, be quiet and listen. He comes like a dove, and the heavens are ripped open, and the Spirit descends, and a voice came and says what? You are my beloved son. Oh, did you hear that, church? You are my beloved son. It didn't say this is my beloved son. It said you are my beloved son. Why do I make a point of that? Well, if you've been in church before, you've probably heard this preached. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? The great voice from the sky. That's actually several chapters later, Mark chapter 9. We're in Mark chapter 1. This is you. You, Jesus. This is a private conversation between God the Father and God the Son. Private. Nobody else is probably hearing this but Jesus. Well, cool, Pastor. Thanks for showing me that. Why? Why? Listen here. Ready? 
Here's the application. Hear it. Sometimes, often, privately, God affirms you before he vindicates you publicly. The private affirmation precedes the public affirmation. Huh? You hear that still small voice in your heart before anyone else has an idea that it's actually going on. Jesus is whispering to you privately before he whispers to everyone else publicly. He saw. Behold, here is the Son in whom he is well pleased. That's cool. Problem, lack of direction, solution, follow the leader. Turn and follow Jesus. Application, find your joy in him. Five minutes left. Here's three things I want you to remember. What does it look like to find your joy in Jesus? That sounds like a churchy term. Find your joy in him. I don't even see him. I can't touch him. How do I find my joy in him? What it's going to look like is it's going to look different. It's going to look different. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to be okay with being different. You won't fit in. You won't be cool. You won't always even be liked. You will be different. Here's one way you'll be different. Number one, in your finances. Look at John the Baptist. He comes wearing camel skins and eating locusts. Not exactly silk and fine wine, right? Clearly, his life is dedicated to something else. Well, that's just a prophet. Yeah, but... (laughs) That's you and me as well. I know that food, clothing, and shelter are necessary and it's our responsibility to provide those for those we love. I get it. But because we are pursuing something other than our own pleasure, because we are finding joy in something other than our stuff, because our ultimate goal and treasure is Jesus, then these things are means to an end, not an end in and of themselves. And therefore, we should look different. In other words... Someone who makes the exact same amount of money as I do should have more stuff than I do if they're an unbeliever. I should live and look differently than the people who make the same amount of money as me. They should have a nicer home. They should have a nicer car. And they should have better toys, cooler clothes, and more places to go. They should. Because I value different things. We value different things. John, Jesus, us, the church. We should look different. If they have more than us, that's a good thing. That means you're living rightly. Because someone of similar social economic status has more than you, that's good. That actually means you have more than them. We should look different. Okay, there's our finances. What about our time? John the Baptist spends his time calling people to repentance, pointing them to Jesus, and making disciples. What do you think you should do with your time? Well, let me ask you a question. The other day, this question was put to me, and it was really convicting, because there's a lot of things I like to do. I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades, but good at nothing. And this person said to me, well, if you had uh, one day to do whatever you wanted, completely free, what would it be? I could hardly answer that. I thought, well, oh, I can think of a lot of cool stuff. What would it be? 
It's pretty convicting because I thought about it. I thought, uh, would Jesus ever come into that picture? Like, would I want to spend my whole day with Jesus? I go skiing, I go to the beach, I go shooting, I go fishing, I go on a romantic getaway, I go spend time with Jesus. Which one would it be? I go drive a Ferrari at a racetrack. Or would I rather be with Jesus? If I only had one day, what would I choose? That's tough. Shopping, hitting the links, or just a little quiet time with God. John spent his time differently, and we should too. It's going to look different. If you're following Jesus, what you find your joy in, what you love, will be different. And as soon as you answer that question, you begin to figure out what it is you really love. What would you do if you only had one, one day? Finances, time, finally one more thing, the last minute and a half is this. What we talk about. You know, we talk about what we love. A lot of times for grandparents, it's their grandchildren. Hey, you got to hear about this. For parents, it's their children. Hey, guess what they just did? No way. They walked? Yes, they walked. So amazing. Congratulations. We talk about what we love. And the reality is, John talks about Jesus, and you've got to ask yourself the question, who do I talk about? What do I talk about? What's the first thing on my mind? What's the first thing off my lips? Where does my conversation naturally go? Or do I shift it any time this name comes up? Who do we talk about? Who do we love? It should look different. If your joy is in Christ, your finances, your time, and what you talk about, they will all be different. Where do you find your joy? Problem is this, church, we got this lack of direction. We're chasing after the wrong stuff. We're stopping at every tourist trap along the way and getting tangled up, coming away feeling sick. The solution is to turn completely 180 degrees from all of that and follow Jesus. What does that look like? It means that I find my joy in him in whatever it is, my time, my money, my activities, what I talk about, it's all in Christ. Life is a really long journey. Here's another picture. I don't know if this uh, makes sense. You may or may not be able to see it. Nope, not Mr. Incredible. Next. There we go. Million miles. 657,000 hours. I googled it. I don't know. That's what one person said. That's how long you have to live. How will you spend it? The need... Is for direction. Your go before is Jesus. He is the real Mr. Incredible. Here you go. Back to Mr. Incredible, please. <laughs> He's, that's my fault. I put him in the wrong order. He, there's this guy named Mr. Incredible. My kids and I went to the movie recently, just my boys and I. And one of them commented, he said, hey, look, he's got huge shoulders and tiny little legs. How does that work? <laughs> like... I don't know. I guess he's really strong, but he can't carry anything. (laughs) But here's the thing. Look, Jesus is the real Mr. Incredible. As you encounter him, you will find what you're after. We're attracted to superpowers. We wish we had them. We think some superpowered whatever is going to come and deliver us. They're going to crash through the walls and do whatever is necessary to save us. But Jesus does the opposite. He goes to the cross and delivers us in ways that no superhero ever could. And his shoulders are bigger enough to carry the cross. And his legs are strong enough 
to lead you down the path. He will deliver you. Turn and follow him. He knows where he's going. He'll get you where you need to be. And your journey will definitely look different than mine. It'll look different than everyone else around you. But that's okay. So ultimately, your goal is not to fit in, but to find your joy in him. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, our redeemer, the perfect and only son of God. Lord, we pray as we begin this series in the book of Mark that you would truly help us to encounter the incredible, that our lives would be truly different. We would seek not after our own pleasures, but after yours to such an extent that eventually your pleasure becomes our pleasure. God, draw us into you. In Jesus' name, amen.